In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. So God willing, today we're going to continue studying about the priesthood and the purpose of the priesthood and how God uh, continued the priesthood from what he established in the Old Testament to the New Testament. Um, so uh, in, uh, in the book of Hebrews, uh, it speaks about how the Lord Jesus Christ is the high priest. It says, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. Also in Hebrews 5.10, it says, Called by God as high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. And in chapter 4, it says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. So what is the concept of the high priest? The, the idea of the high priest is that the high priest is the leader of the priest. He's the archpriest, right? And so, so for, for, for there to be a high priest... It means that there has to be other priests that are under him, right? You can't have the high priest by himself without any other priests with him. Um, also, in Malachi chapter 1, it speaks about the priesthood of the Gentiles. It says, For from the rising of the sun even to its going down, my name shall be great among the Gentiles, and every place incense shall be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name shall be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. What is the significance of uh, the idea that in every place incense shall be offered to my name and speaking about how the name of God will be great among the Gentiles. What is the significance of that? So in the Old Testament, right, where, was th where, where did the priests live? Like in generally, like around where? In which country? Huh? Israel, right? There were only priests in Israel, right? Because priests were only for the Jews. Yes? Priests were only for the Jews. In the Old Testament, priests were only for the Jews. So whenever it says that the, they are going to raise incense, there is incense in the tabernacle, which is in Israel, which is for the Jews, right? So here, this is a prophecy in the book of Malachi. And it's saying, my name shall be great among who? Among the Gentiles, so obviously that wasn't fulfilled in the time of Malachi, because at the time of Malachi, the, the, the word of God had not spread to the world, as it did in the New Testament. Okay, So the priesthood was also limited to the Jews in Israel. right? So for it to say that in every place incense shall be offered to my name and a pure offering, right? What, is, what does that mean? It means that in the future... There's going to be incense offered among the Gentiles and the Gentile nations. By who? By the priests, right? Because you couldn't offer this, this. This could not be fulfilled in the Old Testament. There is no way for the Jewish priests to go into the Gentile nations and to offer incense. So it's speaking about, this is a future prophecy, speaking about the coming of Christianity to the world, okay, and to all, to all people. So, so this is actually a prophecy that the New Testament priesthood continues. The priesthood continues into the New Testament. It's not just limited only to the Old Testament. Um, also, in Isaiah 66, it says, And they shall declare my glory among the Gentiles, and they shall bring all your brethren for an offering to the Lord out of all nations, on horses and in chariots and in litters, on mules and on camels, to my holy mountain Jerusalem, says the Lord. As the children of Israel bring an offering and a clean vessel into the house of the Lord, and I also will take some of them for priests and Levites. So this is, again, speaking about who? The Gentiles. 
says, and they shall declare my glory among the Gentiles. Okay, and they then they shall bring all your brethren for an offering to the Lord. Okay, to my holy mountain, Jerusalem, says the Lord, as the children of Israel bring an offering. So it's saying just as the children of Israel bring an offering to the Lord, so also the Gentiles will bring an offering to the Lord. And I will take I will also take some of them. Who is them here? The Gentiles. I will take some of them for priests and Levites. How is that possible? Because if obviously well, Levites, Levites is the tribe of Levi, right? So we know the tribe of Levi is Old Testament, right? And priests are only from the descendants of Aaron and the Old Testament. So how is it that God is going to take priests from among the Gentiles? Because again, this is a prophecy speaking about the coming of, the, of Christianity where the priesthood will continue but in a different form, right? In a different form. And so even when he says, and Levites, he's not speaking here literally about the Levites. But he's saying just as in the Old Testament, the Levites were responsible for the tabernacle. So also in the New Testament, there will be those among the Gentiles who are responsible for the church, right? So it was unheard of in the Old Testament for the Lord to take himself priests from the Gentiles. So these Gentile priests refer to the New Testament priesthood. So even when you look at some of the prophecies in the Old Testament that speak about the priesthood, you can see that when it's pointing to the Gentiles, um, none of this was fulfilled in, in the Old Testament. This was all fulfilled in the New Testament. And just as there were priests in the Old Testament, so also it continued. Okay. The priesthood is a calling and a mission. Okay. So the calling is clear. We mentioned this last time. And no man takes this honor to himself, but he who is called by God just as Aaron was. So we take it as a calling. It is a calling from God. It comes through the bishop. The bishop calls a person um, to, 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 be, uh, to be a priest. Okay? And this plan of God never changed, that it's still a calling even now. Originally, and actually many people don't realize this, okay? originally the firstborn were the ones that were supposed to be consecrated to God. You know, later it became the Levites and the children of Aaron who were the priests. But actually in the original plan, okay, in the book of Exodus 13, it says, Consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and beast, it is mine. Okay? So the, uh, the original plan of God was not that he would choose among the Levites to be the priests, but that he would choose the firstborn. The firstborn. Do you know why it changed? No? So at the time when Moses went up on Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments, okay, what was Aaron doing? He was making a golden calf, okay? And when Moses came and he saw that Aaron had made the golden calf and there were people who were participating with him in worshiping the golden calf. So Moses said, who is with me to go and to rebuke all of these people who are going to... Uh, you know, that are worshiping the golden calf and, 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 and working and making these things, right? And the people who joined Air, uh, Moses in this were the Levites. So the Levites kind of were, uh, were assigned this task of, or this role of being consecrated to God because of their faithfulness at this time. But the original, before this, it was the originally the firstborn to be those who were consecrated to God. But some observations that we have about this. 
So God selects whoever he desires and he appoints for this task of consecration, right? Because what does the word consecration mean? Consecration means to set apart, right? To set apart from the rest, right? Meaning there is some special role of this specific group that is different than the rest. Just like the priests were set apart from the rest of the people because they had a specific role that was unique to them and they did not receive an inheritance of the land with all of the other tribes, okay? That is consecration. And even now, when we speak about someone who is consecrated to a service, meaning they, they are set apart for that service. It could be a priest, okay? It could be like a deacon, like a full deacon consecrated to that service. It could be what we call the consecrated servants, which are people who are uh, lay people, but they choose to live a life of service and not get married and to full serve full-time the church, consecrated servants. That is a consecration. The nuns and the monks, this is a consecration. People who, 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 who specifically are set apart for a specific service to God, and they make a sacrifice and a vow in order to follow God and not to do something else that would distract them from that service. Okay, Here, who is it who was chosen? Because, for instance, someone who wants to be a monk, this is your own choice. I can choose to be a monk, I can choose to be a nun, I can choose to be a consecrated servant, right? But there are some things that are not chosen. There are some things that are appointed. So as we had read earlier about those people who tried to take the rank of the priesthood for themselves, whenever Miriam, the, the sister of Aaron, or whether Korah and Dathan and Abiram, who tried to, who were jealous of Moses and jealous of Aaron and saying, why do you have this gift of priesthood? All of us are holy. Why only do you have this gift, right? And, 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 and God rebuked them by opening the earth and swallowing them up, okay? So this was an example of people who thought, no, the, the priesthood is something that we can choose for ourselves. It's a vocation, like... I, I choose to major in a certain thing. I choose to have a certain career. I choose to do something. And so I wanted to. I want it for myself, so I choose it, right? But when it came to the priesthood, it was never a human selection. Either at this stage, when it was the firstborn, or later on when it became the children of Aaron, nobody chose who was going to be the priest. Why is it that God chose this versus this versus this? I don't know. He chose this. But it is the selection of God. Because God is selecting whomever he desires that he selected this role for them. Okay, so that's the first thing. He selects whomever he desires and he appoints and not us. Okay, also, whoever he selects, he selects for himself to share in God's portion. Meaning, in the Old Testament, whenever um, the person would come and offer sacrifice, there would be parts of the sacrifice that would be burned, meaning this is like offered to God. And there would be parts of the sacrifice that the priest would eat. Right, so it's like the 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 priest is sharing in in the portion of God. In the, in the New Testament, right, the priest, for instance, he lives off of the donations of the people. The donations are an offering that the people make to God, and part of the donation is used to sustain the priest. Right, so so that's the second thing. Okay, is that God sustains His servants. Right, gives him of His own portion. Okay, and those whom he selects, he consecrates, meaning the service is not like a part-time service. So it should be the case that whenever you have a consecrated priest in a church, that that priest is full-time. He doesn't do anything else. Now, in some cases, 
for practical reasons because maybe a church doesn't have the financial means in order to fully sustain a priest and in some places in Egypt and other places you might have situations where a priest also has a, a, a job in, a, in addition to the priesthood but, but that's, that's the exception because that's, that's not how it's supposed to be um, but just because for pastoral reasons, for the for for the reasons of the the unique situations in that church, but the consecration means it is a full time service to God, not with anything else. So, for instance, like Sayyidna will tell us, the priests, you cannot have any other income, based on your own work, other than what you receive from the church for the work of the priesthood. You can't do anything else. Like if 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 I were to have like a business, right, on the side on my own, I can no longer continue that business. Right. Once I become a priest. Um, then after he had consecrated the firstborn, then he substituted the firstborn for Aaron and his descendants. But the principle of priesthood remained the same. Those who were called were substituted by others. So it still was God selecting a certain group of people and say, these are the people that I choose. Um, this is why, as I've said, the, the priests in the Old Testament had no inheritance in the land. They were God's own and they were fed from God's own portion. God did not just select them, but ordered Moses to anoint them in a holy gathering. It says in Leviticus 8, he says, And he poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and anointed him to consecrate him. The consecration and anointing procedures took place in the holy place of worship where a sacrifice was offered to God. So also like in the New Testament, whenever there is a priest ordination that is done, it is done publicly. It is done through the laying of the hands of the bishop for receiving the Holy Spirit. It is done as a part of a liturgy, right? You never have um, an ordination that is done in private. You know, some of you may be aware of how um, how uh, Pope Shenouda, before he became Pope, how he was ordained a bishop. Some of you know this story. So he went to Pope Krolos was the was the Pope at the time, and he called for uh, Father Antonius was his name, right? Uh, Pope Shunoda, his name was Father Antonius. Uh, and so uh, he called him to his office and he had a conversation with him uh, about wanting him to establish like the like like a centers of education for the people, right? And so in the office when he was, he put his hand on him and he says, I appoint you a bishop right then in the office. And he couldn't say anything. But that wasn't sufficient. So they actually had an ordination for him in the church, right? But with the laying of hands, and the bishop, or the, the pope puts his hand on him, ordains him a bishop right there on the spot, right? So, but, but in order for the people to see and to acknowledge that this person truly has been ordained as a bishop, it is done publicly um, in the church. Those who are anointed, right, they receive the Holy Spirit. So the priesthood is, you know, it's a sacrament, meaning it is a work of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit works in different ways. So sometimes we refer to the Holy Spirit as being like, do you have the Holy Spirit or do you not? Right? You can like, like, does a person have the Holy Spirit or do they not? But that's not the right way to look at it. Right? Because the Holy Spirit works in different ways for different functions. So for instance, in the Old Testament, when King Saul became king, it says the Holy Spirit, and he was anointed, it says the Holy Spirit came upon him. And when he was rejected by God as being king, it says the Holy Spirit left him. And when King David was anointed to be king, it says the Holy Spirit came upon him. But that's a different work of the Holy Spirit than what, when we say in chrismation, when a person, after they're baptized and they're anointed with the myrun oil, right, 
and we say they receive the Holy Spirit, that's a different, there's a different work of the Holy Spirit. One is the work of the Holy Spirit to grant the authority of king, and another is the work of the Holy Spirit as a seal of, seal of salvation. Okay? So the Holy Spirit is everywhere, right? When we receive the Holy Spirit, it means that the Holy Spirit is coming upon us for a specific work, for a specific function. So, for instance, when the Lord Jesus Christ, he breathed into the, the, the apostles, okay, and he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they're forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they're retained. So, and he breathed on them. But this was before the Pentecost, right? Because in the Pentecost, all of the apostles were gathered together in the upper room, and the Holy Spirit came upon them as tongues of fire, and they began to speak in tongues, and that's when they went and began to preach. But prior to this, the Lord actually breathed in them the Holy Spirit, not for the purpose of salvation, which came at the Pentecost, but for the purpose of giving them the gift of the priesthood. This is actually why, as a part of the ordination of a priest, and it's subtle and people might not realize that it's happening, is the, the, the priest, the newly ordained priest, will stand in front of the altar, kneeling down, and the bishop will look down at him and breathe into his mouth. And he will say, receive the Holy Spirit. Okay, just as the Lord Jesus Christ had done. So the work of the Holy Spirit in, in giving of the priesthood is a different work than the Holy Spirit's work in chrismation, right? Because we all receive in chrismation the Holy Spirit. But when, when for the, the laying of hands of the bishop is, is, is a different work of the Holy Spirit. In Isaiah 61, um, this, is a, this is the prophecy that the Lord said in the synagogue. He said, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. So the idea of the anointing is linked to the pouring of the Holy Spirit, right? They are connected. Those who are anointed receive the Holy Spirit, which bestows authority to carry out the ministry of the priesthood. Um, so in the Old Testament, the anointing was done with oil. In the New Testament, this anointing is done just through the laying of the hands of the bishop, um, so there's no Myrun oil used um, in the ordination. In the New Testament, the Lord substituted the anointing with the laying of hands and the holy breath. Um, as I mentioned here, it says, And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Also in Hebrews 6, it says, Of the doctrines of baptism, of laying of hands, of the resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. Um, in the New Testament, the idea of using the oil uh, for anointing is something that came about because there were not enough bishops. So the originally, um, the bishops did everything by the laying of hands. The ordaining of the priests, the, ba the, the confirmation after baptism, and so on was done by the bishops. But once the number of believers grew and increased in number, there were no longer enough apostles and bishops in order to go everywhere and lay hands on everyone. So they, they prayed on this oil, which we call the Myrun oil, distributed to the priests, and the priests then could use the oil for anointing in lieu of the bishop's presence and the laying of hands. Also, in order to, to distinguish the priest, right? So as we always speak about sacraments, sacraments have a physical component and a spiritual component. The spiritual component is the important part, but the, the physical component is done in order to prove that the spiritual component is done. For instance, imagine if you had baptism, but there was no water, right? So you could just be seated, and, and then you pray, 
or a priest will pray on you, and then suddenly we say what? You have been baptized, right, with a spiritual baptism. Okay, but how do I know that it's done? Like, how do I, how, how do I see that there's something that's actually happened? Am I actually baptized? You know, um, it's there. There has to be some some kind of physical act that verifies and shows that the spiritual act is done. So we have the water, right? Or when someone is anointed with oil, there's a physical oil, and you are anointed with the oil. And we say, when you're anointed with the oil, the Holy Spirit comes on you for the purpose of the confirmation after baptism. Um, for instance, in a wedding, crowning ceremony, when two people become one. Well, how do we know that the two people became one? You could have two people anywhere in the world, and a priest is going to come and pray. I pray that these two people become one. Well, how do you know that it happened? Like, where's the evidence of it? You know, do, did it really happen or did it not? So you have physical ceremonies and rites and rituals and things that point to the, the presence of the spiritual work that's being done. Okay? And so one of the reasons that the priest wears the, the clothes that he wears is to show in the physical world that he has received the spiritual gift of the priesthood even though the, the clothing doesn't matter. You know, it doesn't matter what the priest wears. It doesn't change the fact whether he has the priest, uh, the gift of priesthood or not. But in order for the people to recognize that this person has received the gift of the priesthood, the priests are wear certain attire. And even in the Old Testament, God set them apart as a part of their consecration, told them to wear special attire so that people would recognize them as priests. So he said in Exodus 40, he said, Then you shall bring Aaron and his sons to the door of the tabernacle of meeting and wash them with water. You shall put the holy garments on Aaron and anoint him and consecrate him that he may minister to me as priest. And you shall bring his sons and clothe them with tunics. You shall anoint them as you anointed their father that they may minister to me as priests. For their anointing shall surely be an everlasting priesthood throughout their generations. Right? How were, how were people to know that these men were anointed to be priests, that they were consecrated to be priests? It was only because they could see their attire. Again, the attire does not make the priest. Right? But, but, but... This is the way that it was communicated to the people that they had received such gift. Um, God again publicly declared that the priesthood was was for only the chosen. Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, they're the ones who revolted against the, the priesthood, saying that the whole nation is holy. But God made it very clear when Moses said to them, and he spoke to Korah and all his company, saying, Tomorrow morning the Lord will show who is and and uh, who is sorry, who is his and who is holy and will cause him to come near to him, that one whom he chooses he will cause to come near to him. And again, as I said, the ground opened up and swallowed those men who were rebelling against God's economy of selecting the priests because it is not up to us as human beings to select. It is God is the one who selects. Um, so here Moses describes the priest as that one whom he chooses he will cause to come near to him. Um, God chose his priests while the earth swallowed the protesters. What about the New Testament priesthood? Can we see similar, um, a, a similar pattern in the New Testament? So first there is the selection. In John 15, 16, he says, You did not choose me, but I chose you. He's speaking to the apostles. And appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. So who is it? that selected the apostles. The apostles didn't go to Christ and say, I want to be an apostle. Christ is the one who chose those specific people 
for whatever reason he chose them and he said you are the ones who are to be the apostles right you are the ones whom i choose the 12 and the 72 okay so there is a selection there is also a call it says and we had called his 12 disciples to him he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease so there was a gift imparted to them it wasn't just um a selection in terms of uh, i appoint you for a specific task yes there is a task but in order for you to fulfill the task i also give you a gift right he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease so when you read in the book of acts that you know the apostles are going around from place to place they're casting out demons um the you know they're healing the lame they're they're doing these things how is it that they were able to do that well they were able to do that because god gave them explicitly the power to do that right he told them uh, he, he gave them the power to do that and that was part of the gift that they received right so it wasn't just um a group of men who were zealous it wasn't just like a group of people who were very zealous for god and were even willing to die for him they were imparted a very unique gift that only they received okay and this is again in the new testament they also were given a mission the goal after these things the lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go so this is kind of the the, the parallel that we see between the old testament selection calling and mission and the new testament selection calling and mission so um, again we're the goal here is that we're trying to see what are the similarities because in the old testament um, everybody acknowledges that there's a priesthood the question is is what happens in the new testament the the, the the priesthood end is there still a purpose for the priesthood is there something for the priesthood to do that god intend for there to be priests in the new testament or, or maybe as people you know argue against the orthodox church and apostolic churches in general and they say no there should be no priesthood at all there there's just eldership there's just people who are experienced people who are maybe older who are guiding the church or leaders lay leaders of the church but without an explicit um priesthood and when we say priesthood what makes the a priest different than simply a leader is this he was selected by god he was called and given the gift and he is appointed for a certain mission right and this is the same thing that we see in the old testament um as we see in the new testament yes they were apostles No, so in the Old Testament, there was just, there was priest and there was high priest, okay? Um, but the high priest was more of a, just like an organizational leadership, saying that there is the leader of the priests and he had authority, right? But he didn't have any more, uh, like he didn't have a, a, any different gift than the rest of the priests. Those are really the only two ranks in the Old Testament, the priest and the high priest. So what we have in the New Testament is different. And actually... If you look at so so th what is the what is the rank that, that the Lord 
established. He established apostle. That was the only rank that he established. Okay, but the apostles then uh, were given the gift as part of their priesthood to appoint more servants of God, more priests. But we don't call those apostles. We only call the ones that the Lord himself explicitly called to be the apostles. And then the ones that were, were appointed by the apostles, we call them bishops, right? And, and for a time, that was the only rank. There was apostles and then there was bishops. And then we read about in the book of Acts how the, the rank of deacon was established, right? The rank of deacon, which again is not the kind of deacons that we have now. It is a full consecrated deacon for the purpose of service. It wasn't even a liturgical role necessarily, right? It was, it was established for f distributing food to widows, right? So they established the rank of deacon. Also, the distinction between apostle and deacon and all that, like, it, it came later on. Like, I think, um, who is it? There was, there was uh, like, for instance, you could have deacons who baptized uh, at the time, which now we don't have. And then later on, the rank of priest was established. But who established these ranks? The bishops did, or the apostles did. So it's like the bishop is saying, I choose to, 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 to using my authority, to create a rank that has limited authority in order to help me, you know, in order to help me. So those ranks were not even established directly by Christ. They were established by the church. And when, when the church says, when, when Christ said to the apostles, he said, whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. Meaning, I give you the authority to choose how to run the church and for the economy of the church. So when, when the church comes and says, um, okay, we appoint a certain person to a certain rank with certain authority, God honors it. You know, why is it that a priest, even though a rank was not created by, by Christ himself, it was created by man, right? It was created by the bishops that said, we need a rank called priest. And that rank is going to have limited authority. He's going to be able to do some of the things that we do, but some things it can, he, he cannot do. And that was decided by, by a group of people, right? And then those priests, that, that, that authority that's granted to them, God honors it. God honors that. Like, so for instance, as a priest, like I don't have the gift of laying of hands. If I were to try to lay hands on someone, it wouldn't be a valid ordination. Let's say if I tried to ordain deacon or ordain a priest, or it wouldn't be valid. Like God would not respond to it. Well, who decided that I don't have the laying of hands gift? It was actually the bishops who decided, right? Because when they established the rank of priest, they, they asked God to give the priest only certain authority and not the same authority that they have. So the church could theoretically create whatever ranks it wants. And there are ranks. So, for instance, there are, you know, there's, there, there's, there's different ranks of deacon. There's full deacon. Um, there's priest. There's hegumen. There's actually another rank between priest and, and, and bishop called chori episcopus, which means village bishop. And this rank was created to be kind of like uh, a higher ranking priest that has some of the authority of the bishop in order to maintain uh, like larger areas while the bishop was not present. Like let's say think of like a big village where the bishop is not present, he's traveling, he's doing something. So he leaves behind like a vicar, like someone who is his representative in the absence of, um, you know, in, the, in his absence. So that was another rank. Um, I know as far as a few years ago, we still had some people in the church who had that rank of Hori Episcopus. I don't know if anymore. Uh, we're not, they're not really used anymore. 
But the point that I'm trying to make is the church can create whatever ranks it wants and can give as many, as much or as little authority as it wants to all of these different ranks. I don't think that an individual bishop would be able to create a new rank on their own. I, I, I mean, I, I don't, I doubt, I don't think. I think if there's going to be a new rank, it has to be something approved by the synod rather than it be an individual bishop. So, I mean, an individual bishop has a lot of leeway to do different things, but in order for that person to be recognized as being able to be bapt to baptize but not be a priest, um, I, don't, I don't think that, they, that he could do that. But he could just ordain him a priest. Why not? Well, yeah. I mean, I, I don't have a definitive answer, but my guess would be no. Yeah. Did you have a question? Well, it's known that when we speak about a person who is a priest in the church, it's already defined what the gifts are. So he doesn't have to enumerate them every time because it's understood what a priest means in the church. Okay? Lottery. Mm. So the, the, the work of selecting the priest is a cooperation between God and man, even for the Pope. Because the, the, the Pope selection, even though the final step of the selection is a lottery where you have three names and you a child will come blindfolded and pick a name, right? But how did you get those three names? There was a huge process that happened and with people nominating and several layers of voting that happened to, to whittle down the number of the original nominees to three. So that is the human aspect. Like the human aspect is we're going to use our mind and we're going to be like, okay, who are the people who we feel are qualified to have such a position? And we're going to vote, several several votes, right? Not just one, in order to get them down to the three names. But then once the three names are there, pretty much what we're saying is, as far as we know, those three people would be excellent popes, right? It's not like one of them is good and the other one is not and we're really hoping that it's not the other one. No, all three would be good, right? But then we're leaving the final step, be like, God, you choose. Like, what is it that you want? And this, of course, is modeled about how 
um, the apostles found the replacement of Judas, right, between Justice and Matthias. So, so the, the, the again, it's a cooperation. So we use our, our mind, and we also trust in God's selection. Does that answer your question? So on the church level, it's also, there's, so there's five people that have to agree, or five groups that have to agree in order for someone to be priest, ordained priest. The first one is the bishop, obviously, he has to want to ordain a certain person. He thinks that a certain person has the qualities to be a priest. And actually, these qualities are, are described in the Bible. Like we're studying now First Timothy in the Bible study. And St. Paul, when he's speaking to St. Timothy, he speaks in detail about what should the qualities be of someone who wants to be a bishop, okay, like a clergy. Okay? So the bishop sees a person as being qualified. So he approaches the person. The second is the person has to agree. Right. The third is his wife has to agree. The fourth is if he's going to be serving with another priest in the same church, that priest has to agree. And fifth, the congregation has to agree. So there is a voting process that happens when someone is to be ordained and Sayyidina takes it very seriously. And it's not like you just have to get 51%. No, you have to get very high percent, right? Because you don't want to ordain someone who from the very beginning, there's going to be a lot of people against his ordination. And not only that, but he will ask, like, does anyone know of anything, maybe a secret private thing that about this person that would um, disqualify them from ordination? And people will go and talk to the bishop about it. And if they know of something, then, I mean, there have been times where someone got a very high vote, um, but because of certain things that he found out about them, he, um, he, he said no. He said, I won't, we won't do it. So, so... Even at the priest level, it's like, uh, why is it even that we're doing this? Well, we're doing this because we want to discover the will of God. If it is the will of God that something happens, then everything will come together to make it, to facilitate it, right? So if it's the will of God, the bishop will feel comfortable with this person. If it's the will of God, the candidate themselves will feel comfortable. His wife will feel comfortable. The congregation, the other priests, they will all feel comfortable because it's the will of God. But if you start finding one or more of these groups start to feel like uncomfortable with it or there's something that disqualifies, then we say, okay, maybe it's not the will of God. So the bishop, even in his own humility, he doesn't come and say, whatever I think is the will of God. It's not just because I think that this person would be a good candidate that it's the will of God. No, he is one factor in all of the factors. And if God wants it, then it will be. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, like so he can ask from the priest like do you have anyone you would like to recommend? Um and and he trust cuz again, who are the priests? The priests are like an extension of the bishop. So if he ex he trusts the priest, if the priest comes and says cuz the priests obviously know more people than the bishop, right? So if if the if the priest comes and says I know this person and I think he would be a good, then sometimes the bishop will say go talk to him. See what he says. Yeah. Yes. How I became a priest? <laughs> I think we're running out of time. <coughs> I'll tell you next time because we've run out of time. Huh? Yeah? It's a long story. I have to ask my wife what she wants me to reveal. <coughs> okay. Any other questions? Okay, we can pray.
In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We thank you, O Lord, for this day. We ask for your blessing, and we ask, O God, for us to understand your economy of salvation and how, O Lord, you have appointed all your different servants for the purpose of bringing us closer to you and for allowing us, O Lord, to enter your kingdom. We thank you, O Lord, for your mercy. We thank you for the church. We thank you for your sacraments and through the grace of the Holy Spirit that works through them in our lives. Through the prayers of St. Mary, Archangel Michael, St. Paul, St. Mark, and all your saints, hear us as we pray thankfully, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever. Amen. The love of God the Father the grace of the only begotten Son, our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ, the communion, the gift of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace. The peace of the Lord be with you all. Amen.